Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Wise Woman Podcast. I am so excited about today's guest and episode with Dr. Amanda Hansen. I found her on social media because she really explores the fine line between wisdom that actually may trigger you and be the exact thing you needed to hear to heal. We dive into a conversation about true liberation for women. We talk about the concept of releasing the need to rescue women from their pain, supporting the fierce rage and grief within self, and the most intimate relationship ever, which is truly with thyself. Thank you all so much for being here and enjoy the episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Wise Woman Podcast. So grateful to be present with all of you today. We have the wonderful Dr. Amanda Hansen with us today. Hi, Dr. Amanda. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Erin. So I found you on the wonderful ether of social media and you go by the midlife muse. Can you tell us a little bit more about this? Absolutely. You know, I just turned 50 in November. And as I was approaching my midlife space, even 10 years ago, I was really seeking someone to kind of learn from a leader in the space in the way that I wanted to be led. And I really was having a hard time finding someone who was a fully integrated version of a woman that I could lean into. Not, I was not interested in contorting or trying to hold on to an old version of me. And with the culture and the movement for women terrified of aging right now, I was really struggling to find anywhere where I could align and feel seen in what I believe to be such a spiritual journey. These last 10 years of my life have been some of the most profound. And I'm deeply saddened by how many people miss that because they're so worried about their exterior as women in a culture based on, you know, values of, of toxic beauty. So I decided I was, you know, working as a psychologist. I was running groups since my studio. And when I went online, I decided, you know, when people would ask me, like, how did all of this happen for you? I'm like, I became my own muse. I became the leader I was craving. And I am the one who leads myself every day in love and spirituality in sisterhood and relationships and community. And so I thought that's, that's really what it feels like to me. It feels like I am the midlife muse. I haven't found her anywhere, but damn, I have become her. I think that's a huge conversation in our industry when you become the thing that you desire most. Mm-hmm. How you have this whole extensive background. Can you tell us a little bit? about your studies and what led you to this type of work? Yes, as a clinical psychologist for over 23 years now, I was in a, you know, anyone who studied traditional psychology knows that it's a very patriarchal lens as well. And I, as I grew and evolved, it was no longer feeling resonant with me. And I primarily was seeing women. And when I would start to play with energies and ideas of like, let's stand up, Let's move one hand on the heart, one hand on the womb space, and let's open up that root chakra. Let's start to let some guttural vocalizations out. I was in all, you know, for 
the traditional psychology world, I was playing with fire. And I started to realize that felt like home to me. It felt like home to me in my body. It was how I was practicing. But there was this very fine distinction about what I could and could not do with clients. And so that was when I started to really abandon a lot of the really traditional ways of psychology and root deeper into the ancient wisdom of being a woman and incorporating that in everything changed, Aaron. Everything about my practice, everything about the results for clients, everything about my own life, everything changed when I trusted this old and wise ancientness that lives inside of my body when it comes to leading women. I resonate with this so deeply. And I think I talk in this space a lot about how a lot of clinical psychology is, is very outdated. It's actually why I didn't even pursue licensing when I was on my clinical psychology, kind of a PhD track because it is, it's patriarchal and it's not even relevant to our current human experience. And it's a lot of fair skinned men from Europe telling us that we need to be in school and work all day. Otherwise we'll be left to our own aggression. So there's a lot happening in this space of integrating what I call more Eastern ritual practices, the chakras, deep guttural moans, which we see when you bring a child into the world, it's so primal and it's so innate within us. It sounds to me as if you are giving the permission slip and you are asking women to embody this type of connection to self. What are some of the, what the results that you've seen? Well, like, just like you said, this idea, you know, I, I too, giving birth to my children, natural childbirth and and freestanding birth centers. I, I chose that path because I knew my body had the innate wisdom. I, I, in the same way that my body knows how to shed and bleed every month, my body knows how to go through menopause. So I, I take the approach that first and foremost, we have to understand we are not diseased when any of these states being pregnant, childbirth is not a disease state. Having your period is not a disease state. Going through menopause is not a disease state. It is a state in which pharmaceutical companies can make a lot of money though. So when they can create a problem and attach a story to it and a lot of fear, billions of dollars are made. And so I'm always educating. I do a lot of educating, demystifying and helping my clients. First and foremost, you can't do anything that I'm suggesting until we first divest from white supremacy and patriarchal culture. So that's where my work begins. And without that, my work will fall on deaf ears and will be a more cerebral acquiring of knowledge than a bodily, um, you know, work through the embodiment of this process. And there's always a difference. And it's very, very, very scary initially to unlearn everything you've been so deeply attached to and that your own mothers and probably even grandmothers and women before them were teaching because we've been a very long time, thousands of years. Where are the female leaders? And I'm not talking about female leaders in government or any of those things, even though that's very scarce. I'm talking about where are the witches? Where are the women leading us in everything that we always already had that was within us? Where are those women? We're getting terrifyingly further and further removed from anything that was primal and ancient about us as women. And I think that is really why so many women are disenfranchised and depressed and anxious and scurrying around for the next quick fix at all times. So let's say a client comes to you and they're disconnected from their body. Maybe they call it depression. Maybe they call it anxiety. Where do you start? 
I start, first of all, help, helping them understand the system that they've been swimming in. You can't start the work until you understand the poison you've been breathing in. So it starts with education, that foundation and education, lots of inquiry, lots of journaling, lots of pointed questions that they go home and ponder so that they themselves can start to unearth the systems and beliefs by which they've been living, either familially, through their religion, through their culture. And it's different. I work with women globally, and there are women who are under all kinds of different versions of oppression, depending on the culture, the part of the world they grew up and the religious beliefs. And so first and foremost is the education, unlearning and divesting. And then we get right into some beautiful body, you know, embodiment work. I cannot tell you, I, I think the average woman who is on her knees saying, I, I cannot believe how good I feel within eight weeks. My average, the, the shortest amount of time anyone can work with me is six months because it's a, it's a deep dive journey. There's no quick fix with me. And so women are astounded. And my return rates for clients staying with me for years is unbelievable because they say that the thing they say over and over again is, I, I can't believe it's this beautiful. I actually can't even believe it's this, this easy. It gets Everything to be easy. Else, Oh my God. And, and the liberation at the liberation I've been waking up for the last 10 years thinking if I could bottle this, this is the billion dollar industry. It's not Botox. It's not all the other things we've been telling women. It's this, but this is not one that wants to be leaked probably by the patriarchal structure, because I'll tell you what, when a woman is in her alignment and her power like this, she doesn't stay in breadcrumb relationships. She asks for the raise at work. She moves differently in the world when it comes to her sensuality and her sexuality. With this kind of liberation, there's not much you can tell a woman anymore in regards to um, controlling her. And I think she, that she becomes dangerous. Mm -hmm. Very dangerous. And you said the key word, it's the feeling state of liberation, the true freedom, the permission slip to be the full embodiment of self. I think it's why so much of your wisdom continuously goes viral on social media and it's it's meeting the people that need it the most across all lifespans. So I'm guessing that a lot of your clients maybe are closer to my age, but also maybe are older as well. I have clients from their mid twenties all the way to their seventies. And it, this work appeals to the masses. The younger women are saying, I'm so happy I'm getting this foundation now. Yeah. And they're actually taking the work back to their mothers and their sisters. It's just incredible. And then the women who are older on the spectrum are still in a place of like, I can still spend these last decades of my life in this different energy and I can pass this backwards in the other direction. So it doesn't have to repeat with the next generation in my legacy. Yeah, it's very potent. Let's talk about the patriarchy a little bit, because I think so often when we weave in this topic, there's like it's it's a very highly activated energy, because when you're in this space, like we chose the right partners or like we are we are surrounded by the men who are also doing the deep work and having these conversations. Where do you even start with educating on the awareness of the patriarchy, the education from patriarchy? What does this look like for you when you're helping a woman wake up? Yeah, it really is helping her, you know, first and foremost, ask questions like yesterday, for example, I was working with a group of women who are really struggling with all ranges of body image, whether it's weight, size, skin color, age, 
you know, with, with presenting wrinkles. So it just, it, it terribly saddens me that it's a thing that women can never get away from. It, it, it goes to, all the way to the grave. And so I took them through this exercise, this really beautiful, powerful meditative exercise. And then I helped them. I, I asked them all a very pointed question and it was, do you believe in the deepest, most holy place inside of you? Do you actually believe that some women, based on the way they look, are more worthy of a beautiful life, are more worthy of love, are more worthy of health or a partner? Do you actually believe that to be true? And every one of them was weeping and said, no, I don't believe that to be true. And I said, well, that's the good news. Okay. So that's not, that was a belief you attached to that you thought was yours. And so the beautiful thing is now that we recognize it's not really yours, now we get to learn how to let go of it. You absorbed it. And actually you absorbed it so well that you thought it was yours. And so this is where we're going to start to disentangle ourselves. And we're going to do this belief by belief by belief. And then every day until you don't even have to do it consciously, it just lives and pumps inside of every single part of your body. You will remind yourself of what you do believe in the mirror every morning before you turn on your phone, before you brush your teeth, you will remind yourself of what you believe. And that is the energy by which you will start your day. Mm. That's empowering. Yeah, you can feel someone to do it for you. Yeah. And the healing the future of the generations is doing the deep work now. Mm -hmm. And you can't you can't read books to your children or tell your children about loving themselves and accepting all parts of themselves while you turn and berate yourself or you starve yourself or treat yourself disrespectfully. That never works. Children are watching. I have four grown children. They all watched how I lived, not what I said. I whenever I get ready with my girlfriends or my mom or like anybody on retreat, I always see how people look at themselves in the mirror. And if you want to learn somebody intimately, learn about somebody intimately, you can see how they perceive themselves when they're washing their face at the end of the day or picking at their skin or massaging in moisture, or putting on their makeup. And it's a practice of really dropping in deeper because you see someone like I think of my sister, the most gorgeous, beautiful being in the world to me. And she also has really healthy image of self. And when she looks in the mirror, it's different than what I see when I look at her and how everyone around you has a different perception of self and what we see of others. It actually becomes very inception based, but it is a wonderful practice to remember to come back home, to really liberate and come back home to self, because then you can't be easily controlled. Right. And you get to decide what you want to walk in. Everything is a choice. Everything is a decision. And it's really about being willing. Are you willing to do the work it's going to take? Because it is not easy to divest. Once you get there, once you arrive, I mean, I don't even have to think the thoughts. I don't even have to. I synthesize and metabolize experiences, even triggers so profoundly and quickly that it's everything's happening real time. So my time in, in front of the mirror became less and less over the years because I didn't need to convince myself anymore. I didn't need to stand there. I feel it. Every single cell in my body is coated with the most unbelievable love story for myself. So I don't have to stand in the mirror and do it in the way that I did. So that when I talk about it transitions to easy, it becomes a way of being. My work is really about how to be 
in the energy of liberation as a woman? What is that? Because I'll tell you, it is very few women who are going to be wanting to step on this path because of everything. When you start to look at the allegiances you keep to keep the life that you have, and you start working with me, and you start looking at the allegiances you're holding, you realize, oh boy, I might have to let go of a lot of beliefs and things and people if yeah. I if I actually want to step into this way of being. It's a deep shedding. So let's say somebody comes to you and they need to make a life altering decision and the decision affects them. It affects their children. And there's not necessarily like a right path. Maybe it's on where to live or to shift jobs. What are some practices that you would say to somebody moving through a decision that not only affects them, but the the family they're creating as well? Right. Well, it's really aligning with what it is that they so deeply desire and why, because staying somewhere that you don't deeply desire or in a relationship with someone that it's, it's not working is ultimately going to affect everyone around you for the worse. So I'm not as interested or worried about how it will affect the children, how all those pieces fall into place. And I can say this assuredly after, you know, having older children now who are all on their own, um, that children are quite resilient. And ultimately what they need is they, they need a resilient parent. They need parents who are emotionally stable and thriving and happy. They don't need the burden of a depressed or anxious parent because then they can't fully live their lives, nor do they need the burden of a parent who has unfulfilled dreams and projects them onto the children. Um, and so ultimately it's helping them source what is the desire that you are so wanting for your life. And there's a million exercises by which I help get them there and create. And then we, we work backwards and say, so who do you have to become right now to womanifest that desire? Hmm. There's a practice that I teach where it's the future version of self who has already moved that moved through this can provide that wisdom. And it sounds like it's it's an alignment to what you're saying. The wonderful thing about your trained teaching as a clinical psychologist and then your life credibility as a mother of four, which I think is so important to have both. Right. Like the proper like the integration of both. As a mother, what is some of the wisdom that you would want to share with the other women mothers on this call or those bringing raising children right now in a world where there's like I go to my social media and my ads are all about makeup or skin imperfections and Botox or medical advised uh, weight loss products or do you have ADD or ADHD in a world like this? How do we support the parents? Well, we have to educate the parents and help them see what's happening as well. We have to help them see the brainwashing that is happening. If they're not conscious to it, they're going to they're going to be participating and then passing it down, you know, to their children. So, I think we first and foremost have to make parents conscious about this and in doing a lot of this work in regards to all the parent <laughs> the parent ultimately is going to be a reflection to the children of how to live. And I know some parents are cringing right now. Like, I don't want to hear that. That's hard. It's just true. We are the emotional. Um, and and, and uh, this is a hard one for a lot of people to hear too. But I, I stand firmly in believing that the woman is very often the emotional temperature of the family. 
And so getting her into a place of beautiful support and self-love, self-love is, is like the foundation of everything to pass on to our children. But we can't teach our kids how to love themselves when we don't. So we will raise children who just seek, 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 if all we do is seek, 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 seek as well. Um, and so, and, and I also, one of my biggest pieces, you know, when my kids all were leaving home into their own lives, a big part for me was I trust so deeply that each one of them is there on their very own unique and profound spiritual journey, which I have no business interrupting. If they need me and I talk to them on the regular and I see them, you know, whenever they're obviously come home, but if they, if they turn I'm on that path right there next to them. I will not walk ahead of them though, because it is their journey. It is their path. I so deeply, profoundly respect them to find their own unique way. They know how immensely they are loved and there's always support and resources, but I will not insult them to interrupt their spiritual journey. Even their suffering, especially not their suffering. So how do you feel about the phrase, a mother is only as happy as her unhappiest child? I don't align with that. I think it's very toxic. Um, and it's also depend. It's saying that my life is dependent. I am not enmeshed with my children. We have such beautiful, healthy relations and it's why they are so free and so lifted and making their way in the world because they don't feel the burden of having to be a certain way for my life to be okay. As a matter of fact, they always are joking with me. They're like, wow, mom, you're so busy with work. We can't even get a hold of you. Or like, well, if we want to know what's going on with mom, we got to go on our social media account. Do you know how amazing it is to have a child who doesn't feel burdened by a mother needing to like make sure they're okay all the time or having to helicopter them? You know, so it's just so enriching and beautiful to not be in this enmeshed kind of energy with them. They're all going to be home in a week and a half. And it is going to be the most glorious celebration to be in their presence. I have so much respect for them and their choices and their lives. And I learned so much from them. Oh, I learned so much from them. What you are saying, I mean, a lot of this is new information, I think, for a lot of people. And the nugget that I find so interesting is people think they're being good parents by helicoptering or being so connected, knowing all the details and feeling so deeply and completely. And I know myself, like the, my loved ones in my life, if they're moving through it, I, it takes a lot of gusto to separate myself and not also move through that highly activated emotion. So what would you say to somebody who's, you know, a win for their child is a win for them, but a deep distress for their child is sleepless nights. Hmm. I have literally run the gamut. I have children who've been through everything you could possibly imagine. It could be every one of them could be its own book. Um, and I also know that everything that they have walked through was meant for them. It was meant for their path it's because of the fire that they were able to sit in with me holding vigilance, that they came out molded and molded into a different shape and form that was meant for them. We cannot protect them from this life. We can bear witness to it. We can say, baby, I am right here. I am right here with you. But I remember at one point, one of my sons being in a very, very low place when he was 19, a very dark and low place. And I said to him, if I could cut off both of my arms and it would give you the will to want to keep fighting and living, 
I would do that, baby. But cutting off my arms will never give you the will to live. Nothing, my love won't give you the will to live. You have to be the one to reach so deep in there. Travel to the ends of the earth until you find it. Keep moving. Find your love. I'll be here. We have all the resources, all the support in the world. There's nowhere you'll, you will feel more external love, but that is not going to matter until you reach down and find it within. And now at 24 years old, he's having a completely different experience. And he's like, mom, I, I did not decide I'm going to sleep on your floor every night and stay next to you. I'm not going to call you 32 times a day to make sure you're still alive. I'm not going to, I'm not even going to disrespect you that much. I trust that you are going to dig deep and you are going to keep walking. And if, and this one's going to be really hard for people to hear. And if you decide that 19 is the end of your path, I will never make that my burden. I will trust that the 19 years you were here got to be beautiful. And if it felt too painful to stay any longer, who am I to judge that? Who am I to even take that on and make that mean that I didn't do something as a mother? So there's so much freedom when you parent from that energy. Wow. That is life-altering powerful. Yeah. And something that I think a lot of people desperately need to hear right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That must have been so hard to move through. Interestingly, I mean... Yes, yes, but I am very convicted in how I feel. I'm very convicted. I have a very strong inner faith and belief in the world and the way things happen and believe that if someone makes it to a certain age and every day has been a lot of internal suffering, why wouldn't we instead champion that they made it that far mm. as opposed to mourn all of what they weren't able to live into? Because we can never fully imagine what someone's personal experience is. Who am I to say that you should stick it out and stay here? Your internal experience is not mine. When we talk about this deep faith and this deep belief system, it sounds to me like it comes from God's source, like really like a higher presence. Because we, as a like souls in a human meat suit, we don't always have that capacity to kind of descend to that level or awaken to that level. What are some of your spiritual practices? Do you align with an organized religion? Were you did you grow up a specific way? I grew up Catholic, you know, and I have a lot of beautiful foundational beliefs. I believe that God, Goddess you know, is in every single one of us. It's in every single one of us, every beautiful act between humans. Um, I don't spend a lot of time or energy trying to understand or imagine what may be thereafter. I'm so intent on the way I'm living from breath to breath that that is my spiritual practice. Um, meeting myself every day in this body and the gift of another day is my spiritual practice. When I, my biggest spiritual practice is presence. Like, in this conversation right now, there is no outside existence. There's just this moment. There's you and there's me in this conversation and the energy between it. And when this call is over and I get to the next thing, there will only be that. And when I'm sitting with my children and I see their eyelashes and I see their dimple, I see that special way that they look off to the side before they say something really serious. 
That's my spiritual practice. Presence. I'm in the now so regularly that I can't be worried about the future and I'm not in regret at the past because I'm really in the now. That's my spiritual practice. That's beautiful. There's so much wisdom in this conversation. And there is a gap of women in this space that are talking about true liberation from the patriarchy and beauty standards and also trauma, like the ex extreme trauma that is kind of become the normal in society. I think when my clients come to me, I, I, I just assume at this point that they've moved through a highly activated experience. And I think that's something unique in our, in our industry but also provides a lot of compassion for ourselves. When it comes to like very grounded spiritual practices or connection of presence practices, do you have a morning or evening routine? Me? No. And, and, and what I really want to say is when you live that present, my whole life is one big spiritual practice. It's a yeah. very hard concept to explain. I used to have a more ground, I used to have a more particular but I don't. There are some days where there is so much to be done that the work is still going on until nine, 10 o'clock at night. I don't make myself wrong for that. I don't feel like I'm now in some, I, I know that everything has a season and I so deeply trust myself that when I need a day or two to shut down and walk away and make sure I clear my calendar on these two days, I need, I need to reset. I'm going to be unavailable on all devices. I do that. Like I trust myself. Like there are moments where it might feel from the outside looking in like hustle culture, but I'm so deeply presenced in my feminine that it feels like beauty to me. It feels like everything I've waited for my whole life. And, and it feels urgent. This message feels urgent. And so um, being so privileged to be able to do the work I'm doing, it is, there's really nowhere else I'd rather be right now. It does feel very important. There does feel a lot of urgency to this conversation. And it's interesting at how, at how life altering it is like for a woman to honor herself and not feel anxiety when like to even turn your phone off feels like a very powerful act in itself. My mother would never do that. You know, it's, it's these themes that are so ingrained in our culture. Were you always like this or was there a catalyst that brought you closer to this path? I think the biggest catalyst for me was in fully this full, you know, coming into my when I was about to turn 40. I've always been a very um, unique, I guess, um, person. I've always swam in much deeper waters. I, I cannot do any surface conversations. I haven't been able to since I was eight or nine. And I was labeled for that. I was labeled as being like weird. There was something like wrong with me, like just go to your room. It's too much. Or, you know, when I felt emotion, it was intense and I cried and it was big and I was a dreamer. And so it, nobody really knew what to do with me. And so for a long time, I was like, I guess I'm just something might be off or wrong. Um, but, but I divested from that pretty quickly too. I realized, I don't know how or why I realized around 12, there was actually something wrong with the world. There wasn't something wrong with me. 
I felt like I was one of the ones who was able to see the beauty of things and people were missing it. And so I deeply attached to never letting that be taken away from me. And I identified myself as this like really special human and not better than, not pedestalized in any way. But but it, what I felt was my beauty and my gift. It wasn't something that was wrong. The depths of my, the capacity of my heart, I wasn't going to make myself think I was a weirdo for it. So Obviously, then that brought me right into grad school. But I did have a time um, in my, you know, I was I was working on my doctorate and I had a time in graduate school where, but for all intents and purposes, on the patriarchal checklist of life, I had everything. I was about to get my PhD. I was married to a beautiful man. Uh, we were living in Southern California in a dream situation. And my health was incredible. We were talking about, are we going to have children? Everything was great. And yet something was aching and I couldn't put my finger on it. And then I started asking other women and they were like, yeah, I think so. Sometimes I do this to make it feel better. Sometimes when, yeah, go buy yourself a handbag. It'll feel better. Oh, let's go get some martinis. It'll be all right. Let's go get a pedicure. I knew at such a very early time in my life that that was not what, where I was wanting to source from. It never, shopping, manicures, pedicures, facials, it never brought me joy at all. It actually left me feeling more empty. It felt so vapid to me. And so I was, I was on a quest for probably a good 15 years of what is it that's fully missing? You know, and I'm in practice at this point. I'm even having children at this point. And I, I think the first time I touched what was missing was when I had my first natural childbirth experience. Um, I touched the divine feminine in a way I'd never touched her before. And, um, I don't think I was ever fully the same at that point. I, I was only 27. I was two weeks before my 28th birthday. And that was when something really shifted for me. And then the quest just every year, it like snowballed into more development and more seeking and searching into like, what is this that's missing? And then what I realized was it was the deep, profound connection to me that was missing. I was waiting for my career to just give me that next hit or my relationship, or he was going to remember that thing, or he was going to like really hold space in a certain way. I, I finally freed myself from expecting it to come from anywhere but me. And now I'm like the most fun and easy person to be in relationship with because it's not that I have no expectations. Of course, I have very high standards, but I've been married for almost 27 years. And my husband's like, I feel like I've been married to about 15 different versions of you. It's so fabulous and so exciting. And I just keep growing right alongside with you. And I'm so radically responsible for my life and every feeling that I have that being married to me gets to feel like being a part of a movie if you want to get your popcorn and be there. But you're not responsible for how the plot twist goes. I am. You're responsible for your plot twist and how it ends. And so he talks about how freeing it feels to be married to me in that regard. Because when I need to be in my rage, I say to him, meet me in the bedroom in 15 minutes. I need to, I need to like release some rage. I need a witness. And he knows what that means. He sits in the chair. I draw the shades. I put on some really intense music and I scream and I shred things and I go for it. And he holds the space because he understands what it means that I need some, there are occasional times where I need someone to, to see the heaviness of what I'm carrying. I don't want to do it in isolation. That's incredible. Yeah. My orgasm is all my responsibility. 
everything. And, and when you start to live this way, I think women are like, oh no, he has to learn. He has to, I, it's my responsibility. I'll teach him. I'll teach him what I like. I'll teach him. But ultimately those rolling orgasms, that's the depth of me. That's my connection. That's my surrender. That's my self-trust. That's all the decades of work I've done. That's my prize. The natural birth, which is how women generation to generation have brought babies into the world until like the last couple decades is the point in which we meet the divine feminine because it's primal because it's surrender. Tell us more about this experience. You know, I have videos of my natural births and it's fascinating because it sounds like I'm having rolling orgasm after another, you know, and I can't help but think I get really, really, really deep, you know, I'm not going to go too deep off into some other world here, but I, I could spend hours talking about this, but I also think it's a part of why we wanted to contain it because it sounds very erotic the, and the power. I realized when my first child came out of my body that I was, I, I was never going to be the same and not, and I want to clarify, not because, you know, everyone's like, oh, I'll never be the same. I have this baby. Not, not like that. I internally in my physical body, something shifted. As, as everything started to heal, I could feel a realignment in a way that a, a power, internal power source that I didn't even know I had, um, that I know I wouldn't have been connected to if I'd been hooked up to an epidural lying on my back. And, you know, I, I, another thing is I know women are going to hear this and be like, well, I had a C-section and I'm so grateful. Or, well, now I feel judged. I also want women to start being really responsible for when they feel judged or triggered. I am really tired of us being in a world and a culture where we have to tiptoe around, not say what we really mean for revolutionary change, because we're worried that everyone's feelings are going to get hurt. It's like, come on, sisters, we are better and stronger than that. We've got to stop that. I take massive responsibility when I feel triggered by something I hear or another woman says, I pause and say, Amanda, what lesson is there for you here? What is this pointing to for you? What's getting activated? What can you learn from this? What does she have that you want more of? What does she have that you wish you'd done differently? I'm not going to turn and make her wrong. I'm going to own it to see where I can source for more beauty for myself and growth. So I know that women will hear that and be like, oh, so are you now judging us because we had epidurals? Absolutely not. I'm saying I want this freedom for more women and we can't get there if no one's allowed to talk about it. Yeah. Everything that you were saying makes me curious about your relationship to your mother mm. because I think that's one of our biggest long, teachers in a long journey yeah here for two months actually we did there was a massive repair exactly one year ago last February she's always been in my life there have been a few pretty big ruptures um but I would say I went away with her for a couple of days last weekend and she looked at me at one point and said gosh, I wish I would have had the bravery that you had to live out loud. I wish that I would have had the audacity to say and do the things you've done. I miss, so, she's 74 now and she's incredible. But she said, you know, I miss so much life because I was afraid. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, you know, we have found our way for a long time though. My growth and my freedom and my liberation, even in my marriage was a huge threat to her. 
And she was most interested in like my domestication. I could have won the Nobel Peace Prize, but if I didn't cook dinner that night, I was a failure. Right. So, so we've worked through all of that to, to the biggest extent that we can. And I think now she's able to see and value and celebrate who I am, which is wildly different than her. But for many decades, I feel like she had to make me wrong for it. And her biggest phrase used to be, what are you trying to prove? And I'm like, wow, that's so interesting that you think I'm trying to prove something rather than live a more aligned and truthful life for myself. I'm just trying to find the truth for me. Nobody has to do that. This is just the path I've chosen. I won't live enslaved and caged the way you and my aunts and my grandmas all have. I won't do it. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I really, yeah, I deeply resonate. I think that's why everything that you're sharing, it comes with, uh, there's a fine line between trigger and resonance. And I think you, you stroke that regularly. Like you almost live in that in between. And it's, I remember even when I started really showing up on social media and like this would go viral and that would go viral. It was almost like if I thought it would get me canceled or like if I thought it was that like really sensitive conversation, that's what would hit the market. And one of my posts was all about complaining about age. I mean, I'm 31, but the second I'm in conversation with somebody and they complain about their age or they complain about where they live. You, you chose this, like it's a mutual responsibility to take up space in this life. And I love how you say live out loud because that was one of the first drafts of my book. I mean, it's really this unediting that we're diving into. It really is. And I realize as well that you're exactly right. It's, it's fascinating. We, we kind of watch the markets, right? And the things that go viral and that get the most, you know, the millions and millions of views and the hundreds of thousands of shares end up being the videos that um, have sometimes that edge and controversy, but surprisingly, there's some where I would have never imagined would have gone viral. Um, and I was just having a conversation with my team yesterday about this. Um, and there's two videos right now that are just, I mean, they're going crazy. And there's, for lack of a better word, there's infighting happening. And I, I we're, we're always in that place of like, do we shut down comments for a while so people can like take a breath, you know, and then, and then turn comments back on, or, you know, we've had to do that occasionally. And it's, fascinating. And I'm so proud because what this tells me is people are finally waking up. Yeah. The waiting is not a red flag to me. It's It says that I, I'm talking about a lot of things, especially for women my age are, has not talked about. And I'm approaching this in such a different way that I, I know who I am when the cameras go off and the door shuts. I know who I am, how I live. I couldn't be more proud. There's no difference between on or off camera for me. Um, but I also know that to be a revolutionary is going to require some, some really hard moments. And a lot of people crumble under that pressure. And I've seen it happen in the industry so much um, or get really defensive or come on and have to apologize or explain themselves. And I'm like, I'm willing to sit here and watch us. We can do this, women. We can do this. I know it's hard and it's scary. And you're hearing something you haven't heard before. And it's making you want to attack me. I understand where that's coming from. I understand your fear, but I'll sit here and wait until you're ready to have a conversation. And is it the conversations about, I got a C-section, I got an epidural, like, don't let us feel bad about these decisions. 
Or no, what, the, what's the, the controversial? One, the controversial one right now is like, uh, it has more, it's probably a 75% people like, yes. And 25% of people like you are a dangerous woman. Um, and you know, things are also taken out of context. Sometimes a three minute reel can't capture. Right. Um, Um, So people project onto it how they already feel or what they hear. Um, But it's the video from my retreat in Costa Rica a couple of weeks ago. I was at a dinner with some of the clients and we were talking about how um, this this rescuing each other as women, constantly the rescuing and not allowing each other to like mine for the gold in the heartbreak in the hard moments. Um, And so there's a clip where one of my team members was recording some of it, posted it, and they're saying that I'm absolutely heartless. Because I would just let a woman, and I, uh, because in my practice and the retreat that I'm going to be hosting in two weeks, and all the in-person work that I do, there are boxes of tissues everywhere. But the guidelines are: when a woman taps into her grief or her rage, you don't take a tissue and say, "Here you go, go." You don't touch her on the arm. You will energetically break her process. You are unconsciously telling her, "Tidy up, wipe your nose." Pull it together. Grief and rage is ugly. It has snot. It has your hair going crazy. It has you on the ground. It has you hurling in a bucket. Why don't we let women feel that? And I learned that when I walked one of my dearest girlfriends through the death of her son when he was 16. It's like, don't touch me. I don't want a hug. I don't want a fucking tissue. I want to let it rip. I want someone to witness how hard this is and how much this hurts right now. I don't want to be rescued or saved. And so when I started to bring that into the work with my women, they were like, oh my gosh, no one's ever been able to hold space for me like this. Everyone always gets so like, okay, it's going to be all right. Come here. And they want to like rush to hug me or give me a tissue. So I say to these women, when you are ready and you've come through the other side of it, the tissues are here. The hugs are here but I will never insult you to interrupt your process. Because then what happens is now a woman goes into like caretaking, like, oh my gosh, it must be too much for everybody else. Let me go ahead and pull it together. Let me stop. And so that video was taken out of context and people are calling me, you know, like, oh my gosh, that's so dangerous. I can't believe you wouldn't help a woman when she was suffering. I'm like, oh my gosh, that is not what that was about. But okay, if that's what you hear. (laughs) It happens because the right person needed to read it. So the comments and the arguing, it just kicks it up higher. And then it lands in the heart of the woman who's healing from your wisdom. Absolutely. And there's so many more. There's the majority of it is that, but it's always interesting. You know, there's always going to be those few who hear something totally different than what was ever intended. One of the first practices I started teaching my clients, and I remember thinking that it wasn't, we're talking like 2016, they would cry and I would say, don't wipe your tears, let them roll down your face. And it sounds so simple, yet some of them, like we couldn't do it. Like we couldn't let that mess linger, that witness to exist. It's like the evidence of the passion. Because that rage and that fury and that grief is, there's so much sensuality to that as well. And I, I believe women can only reach the levels of pleasure and rapture to the extent they can go to the darkest parts of themselves. Mm. It's really just on the flip side of that coin. 
Dr. Amanda Hansen. This is the most fun, especially for me. I, I came across your content so long ago, whenever I find somebody paving the path for me, paving the path for all of us, this is the space where we dive a little bit deeper. Let's assume, let's pray and hope this wisdom goes viral. What is a specific phrase or sentence or something you would want to share with people around the world? The thing that you are searching for that will make you happy, that will make you say, I have arrived into a beautiful life, that I am now complete. The thing that you have been searching for is you. It's always been. So it's inside. It's you. Thank you. Beautiful, intimate building of a relationship with self. Mm. And for anyone who is listening and wants to dive deeper, where can they find you and what are you currently offering? So it is Amanda, Dr. Amanda Hansen and Midlife Muse on TikTok and on Instagram and Facebook. Um, and then my website is amandahansen.com and something is being announced next week. And then something's being announced a couple days after that. And then a week or so after that. So there's a lot that's going to titrate out over the next several weeks. So I would say, pay attention. If you're on the social medias, you won't miss it. If you are following Midlife News. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with the world. It was so fun to be in your presence. Likewise. Thank you so much, Erin, for this beautiful time. <laughs>